0: Alright church, Romans, Romans, Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to read a few verses, maybe just four, maybe five, but I I can't promise you, I can't promise you anything. Uh, This is that one particular passage that's um, highly controversial in so many different ways because it seems like we're always inventing new things to say about this passage. With every generation especially, there's always something new coming out about this passage. Um, Whether it's Calvinism or Arminianism or Traditionalism or any other ism that you can think of, it's right here. Right here. Somebody's always got something new to say about this passage. Romans chapter 8. I think I'm only going to get to a verse and a half, really. A verse and a half. That's my goal. uh, Because there's just so much material here. Say amen when you have it. Romans Amen. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God. um, Excuse me, Kyle, did I forget something? I didn't forget anything, did I? Okay, cool. I thought you were trying to get my attention. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew... He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this particular passage here this morning. I pray that you give us your grace and give us your wisdom, give us your knowledge and give us your understanding. Uh, But most importantly, Lord God, help us to apply these truths, all truths from your word to our hearts, to our souls, to our lives. That we may be doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving our own selves. Father, we love you and we thank you once again. In Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. 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 Obviously, the first thing that we have to do before doing anything else is just simply establish context. We need to somehow make the connection between this particular passage with the passage that we looked at and considered last week. How many remember what we talked about last week? A couple of you. A couple of you. Some of you take notes. And I know that many of you, many of you. Excuse me, señorita. This. <laughs> I know that many of you take notes. Last week we spoke about the hope that we live with while waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Which is the culmination of the salvation process. How many, how many eager, eager to be in the presence of the Lord? I don't know about you, but I'm I'm so I'm so longing to be in God's presence. I'm so desperate to be rid of this carcass, if we could put it that way. It, it, that's exactly what it is. It's it, it it hinders, it obstructs, it interferes with the things that we desire most in life. I don't know about you, but I want more of God, and oftentimes this this body of mine interferes with that. And so, like Paul the Apostle, I'm longing for the day when I'm absent from the body and present with the Lord. Those are the things that we were talking about last, last week. This week we begin this particular passage with an assurance given to us from the Holy Spirit Himself regarding this journey that we are on. Again, we are given a, an assurance in this passage, and it's a major assurance And I want to spend perhaps most of my time in this one particular verse, verse 28, because I don't want to take it for granted. It's a promise that God has given to us. Look at verse 28 with me. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who are called according to His purpose. And if you're writing down any notes whatsoever, you have to to make a note somehow in your own words. So that you understand that this is a major principle given to us from the Holy Spirit Himself. It's a major principle. And it goes hand in hand with the promise that has been given to us long ago by Jesus Christ. One of the passages off the top of my head is Hebrews Thirteen, eight, where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This morning, while the leaders and I met together in prayer, we actually highlighted a particular verse in the New Testament. Matthew, the very last, I guess that was Matthew, what was that, Tim? Remind me of my mind. Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 20. Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus Christ was giving His final instructions to His disciples. He was giving them direction. He was giving them instructions. And some of His disciples, not the twelve disciples that, that we are mostly acquainted with, but other disciples, other individuals who at the time were following Jesus. Jesus said in those last verses of Matthew 28 that many disciples walked away. And that many disciples were actually in doubt concerning the things that Jesus Christ had um, instructed them with. Many were in doubt. And as a way of his as a way of responding on Jesus' part, he says, All authority has been given unto me. That's just a paraphrase, because we know that Jesus Christ was actually referring to all authority in heaven and in earth, that it was given unto him. The point is that he was trying to get them to understand that even though he was leaving, which, is, which was the, the reason for the doubt in the hearts of some of them, that even though he was leaving, that he was, that he was not going to leave them without the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would come and that he would give us the assurances regarding the promises that Jesus Christ made unto us. Why do I say that now? I say that because life is difficult at best. It's extremely difficult. And sometimes it's easy for you and I to lose heart. We've been given the promise by Jesus Christ in his word that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. And yet from time to time we find ourselves going through really, really difficult circumstances in our lives. One of the things that I mentioned this morning, um, one of the burdens that I live with as your pastor uh, concerns the seniors of our congregation. Sometimes because of their health, because of their appointments, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they are unable to be here with us. And that, and that hurts me a lot because I don't want to forget them. I've only known them for 17 months. And it may seem like a short period of time for most here, but not, not, not to me, not to me. Because I know their contribution. I may not have been here during those years of their lives when they contributed greatly to the success that this church is today. But I, it doesn't matter to me the fact that I haven't wasn't a part of the congregation at the time. Because I've been around church long enough to know that our seniors are always contributing the reason why this church is what it is today is because of their contribution, not so much ours today. We are able to continue on what they started. And so I appreciate the seniors of this church. And it's the reason why I long to be with them, to visit with them. More often than not, it's not a possibility, but I'm, it's just a cry. I'm doing what I can to keep from crying now. It's because I appreciate I have faith today as a child of God because someone a few generations before me, older than me, contributed to my salvation today. Amen, somebody. Somebody took the time to take me underneath their wing and they mentored me and they counseled me. And now that they're older and unable to be a part of our fellowship from time to time, we need to do something about that as a congregation. We need to visit them. Not everybody's like Charlene. 90 plus and still able to drive from Utah back and forth. Not everybody's like that. So we need to do something about our seniors. Because I'm sure they feel some type of way when they are not called upon. When we don't visit them. They feel lonely. Amen. I think we need to do something about that. There's a major promise that Jesus Christ has given us in this particular passage. Whether through good times or bad times, in spite of our mistakes or our setbacks, Jesus declares, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In spite of all these circumstances in our lives, God is at work within us to fulfill His will concerning us. Amen, church. God is always at work to fulfill His will. For example, I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to see this. And I apologize for the lack of a PowerPoint here today. I um I stepped out of my house more than usual this past week to visit people, call upon people, like um Miss Blodgett, Candy Blodgett, visited her twice, uh, so on and so forth. And um you fall behind sometimes when you do that, right? Second Corinthians chapter twelve, I want you to look at verse nine. Talking and, and I didn't look for the passage myself.
1: Chapter
0: 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to keep reading for the sake of for the for the sake of Christ then i am content with weaknesses insults hardships and persecutions and calamities for when i am weak then am i then am i strong we don't understand what it was paul the apostle was going through whether it was a physical malady or illness or whether it was something spiritual. We do know, however, that there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. The reason for whatever it is he was struggling with was to keep him in check because of the revelations that God had given to him. How many know that shortly after Paul the Apostle got saved, he went into the wilderness, quote-unquote, and he was directly ministered to by Jesus Christ himself. For three years, pouring revelations into his life to prepare him and equip him for the task that was before him. And it's the reason why we have so much of this New Testament attributed to Paul the Apostle. Because of that ministry, that direct ministry by Jesus Christ himself. But he was going through something. And we don't know exactly what that was, but he was going through something and... He, The Bible tells us that he cried out, that he was pleading with the God repeatedly so that God can resolve, remove, or restore, or, or heal, or deliver, whatever the case might be. And God responded by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, says the Lord, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Imagine trying to thoroughly wrap your heart and your mind around that. Ideal that reality, that that principle. It doesn't make any sense. It's like trying to force a cube, a square into a round hole. It just doesn't fit. And so we are just simply asked by God to trust Him. In spite of your circumstances today, God is asking you to trust Him. Now go back to the verse, verse 28 in our text today. It says, And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. It's a major promise. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to His promise. For those who are called according to His promise. I was thinking about the connection between this series of verses with the verses that we talked about last week. And I realized that in this verse, or rather than in in verse 29, the successive verses, that Paul helps us to understand how God, in fact, uh, began long ago this process of navigating His will in our lives. It is the, the answer to the how of God went about that in our lives. But there's one more thing, before I move on to the next verse, there's another thing that I want to talk about, I want to point out from this one particular verse. It says, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who are called according to His purpose. Number one, we know that it's a major principle, it's a promise that goes hand in hand with Jesus, all of Jesus' promises concerning you and I as His children. I will never leave you nor forsake you, however This is not a principle, according to the text itself, that everyone can apply to their lives. It is a principle reserved for the children of God and not for the unsaved. And the reason why I say that is because there are a lot of people especially those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, who stake a claim in this particular principle or in this particular promise, as if God is on their side to ensure that every circumstance they find themselves in, that somehow is going to work out for the better. And we know that according to the Scripture, that is not the case. We do understand according to the Word of God, however, that God is loving and that He is graceful. He loves us all. And that to some degree, God is, God is ministering to all people. We gotta understand it, right? He's ministering to all. How, how, how else would it have been possible for you and I to have come to Christ in the first place had it not been for God somehow navigating through the circumstances of our lives before we came to Jesus Christ? Nevertheless, Technically speaking, this is a principle for the children of God. And I want you to follow along with me. I want you to go to, um, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Because I want to make a contrast here between believers and unbelievers. I want us to see this. Ephesians chapter 5. Say amen when you find it. Oh, you could not have gotten there that quickly. Come on. Some of you are like Speedy Gonzales, Speedy Gonzales. Dude. You just knew I was going. Oh, there you go, tablets. The Clements have tablets. You see that? The Clemens have brand new tablets. They're showing off. They're holding them in the air like that so that I can see. Good job. I know I make some, I make some of you nervous when I do those things. Ephesians 5, 6 through 8. Ephesians 5, 6 through 8. A, the first, Just the first portion of verse 8. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, long list of things that Paul, Paul the Apostle was addressing, sins, etc. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk in. As children of walk as children of light. And there are three things that are relevant to my point from this for from that particular passage right there. Number one, Paul the apostle establishes that unbelievers live in darkness. Unbelievers live in darkness, unlike you and I who live in the light. That's why we are encouraged to walk as children of light. There's a huge contrast there that Paul the Apostle makes, Slices us right down the middle. You and I are in this particular camp over here. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. You and I are in this camp over here. And unbelievers are in this camp over here. And according to this text, they are recipients of the wrath of God. Which is number two. Point number two there. And thirdly, the favor of God is bestowed upon believers. The favor of God is bestowed upon believers. It's the idea that God deals with you and I as his children differently than he deals with those who are in the world. Those who have yet to know him or accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's a distinction there. And so the promise is, or rather the idea is that the principle of verse 28 is applied to believers in a technical sense. Let's move on. Verse 29. But let me preface it by saying that if you are acquainted with the next two verses in our text, you know as well as I do that they are at the center of what I stated already, a lot of controversy. Christendom has been interpreting these verses in different ways for a long time. Please know that it is not my intention to enter into any current debate whatsoever regarding the interpretation of this particular passage. These next couple of verses. It's just not my intention. It is not my intention to reach for information that is not presented in the text. Okay? Because, and I say that because there are a lot of systematics that exist out there. Systematics that a lot of us subscribe to. That, that, that when you consider them um, they are speculative at best. Reaching for information from the text like this one that's not actually in here. So I want to present it to you in the simplest way possible. That is my goal. Verse 29 reads for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed To the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I'm going to read that again. Because I want to highlight a few words that are of importance to us. For those whom he underlined foreknew. He also underlined predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Brothers, first, the first thing I want to just simply acknowledge here is that Paul wrote this so that we may have some understanding about how the Lord considered our salvation long ago and his subsequent blessings upon our lives. I think that's important to note because Paul the Apostle uses the word foreknew as in foreknowledge. And so when we think about how is it possible For you and I to make any application whatsoever of the principle presented in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to His promise. That's huge right there. And I think about that from time to time. And I'm like, how is it that God is capable of navigating this thing in my life? And then not only in my life, but in the lives of tens of millions of believers around the world. And then providing prevenient grace, if we could put it that way, to the many unbelievers who are heirs of salvation. How does God navigate through all of these people in applying that wonderful principle verse 28? And so I started to think about this. And I thought about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Because we can actually infer... That Paul the, Apostle, Paul the Apostle rather is referring to the sovereignty of God. The fact that you and I serve an almighty living God. An almighty living God. And the reason for that is because he uses, uh, with regard to verse 29, um, the reason why I refer to the sovereignty of God, although it's not mentioned in the text. And by the way, sovereignty of God is not mentioned in the Bible. It just isn't. You look for it, especially if you look for it in the King James text, uh, which I love myself, uh, you're not going to find the word sovereign, sovereignty in the Bible. I think you may find it in newer versions, but it's not included in the older version. But yet, nevertheless, it's inferred safely from this one particular text. The sovereignty of God refers to the supreme authority of God. It's the idea that he transcends, transcends all things because he is, number one, omnipotent. How many of you have ever heard that word before, that, that, that name for God or that reference to God? That God is omnipotent. It simply means that he is almighty, that he is all-powerful, that he transcends all things. He is the self-sufficient one, El Elohim. The immutable one. Um, and secondly, this we can derive or infer that Paul the Apostle is referring to the omniscience of God. It's the idea that he sees all and he knows all. He's omniscient. And thirdly, that he is omnipresent. That he is everywhere at the same time. How many know those, that those things are true about your God and mine? He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient and He is omnipresent. That He is everywhere at the same time. Again, just to reiterate, the reason why I mentioned that is because it takes an almighty God in order for the promise or the principle of verse 28 to be a reality in our lives. And indeed it is. And indeed it is. Think about That that illustration that I shared with you regarding Paul the Apostle. He needed to hear something from God. He needed an assurance from the Lord regarding whatever it is that he was dealing with. He just needed it. In spite of the revelations, the inspiration, all those amazing things he knew about God, directly having received them from Jesus Christ, he needed the assurance to live out his faith from day to day. Just like you and I. Just like you and I. I can't live on yesterday's blessings. I need God to affirm himself within me today, today. I just need him to do so. Because I'm longing. I want, I want more of him. And tomorrow is not here yet. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you for the sake of time. Write it down. 1 Timothy 6 verses 15 through 16. Just thinking in terms of the, the omnipotence of God. Or who, what, what he is like. Paul the Apostle states to young Timothy, he says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, there's that word. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Wow. He dwells in unapproachable light. That's, that's gotta be perfect light, right? Whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think the impression is clear, right? We serve an almighty God. And in verse 29, the one that we are considering at this time, there are two things which enable us to think about the sovereignty of God. Which is the reason why I spoke about it for those last few moments. Um, and number one, Paul's use of the word for new. And secondly, his use of the word predestined. For new and predestined. But I wanna, I wanna break here for a moment and I wanna make a personal declaration. Because it would be helpful for me to say that I do not define the sovereignty of God to mean that God is deterministic. And I apologize. If you believe it, but I don't interpret the sovereignty of God to mean that God is somehow deterministic, that he is somehow personally directing or governing every last infin- infinitesimal detail of our lives as believers. That would mean that we do not possess a free will. And I don't subscribe to that. I believe wholeheartedly that we as believers possess a free will. And although some, some of you may believe that we do not, I have yet to have a conversation with anybody here in this congregation who does not believe that we possess a free will. I don't know of anyone here. It's not to mean that that some of us do not believe in that And it's okay. It's okay. I'm just making a, uh, a transparent declaration. I believe that as children of God, we possess a free will. And in a few moments, I want us to consider a few verses um, to kind of defend that, that idea. For now... Um, um, I want you to consider go back to verse 29 look at verse 29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers if I'm not mistaken there's a version that actually reads brethren there at the end right he's it's, it's talking about us It's talking about you and I so in the first instance, Paul writes for those whom he foreknew, for those whom he foreknew. And again, I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm tap dancing or tiptoeing around this issue, right, with in, intentions because I don't want to get into any any polemic, any debate, any controversy. Foreknew or foreknowledge to me just simply means to have previous knowledge of, to know beforehand. To think of or contemplate beforehand. And in many respects this word has been hijacked to mean uh, a series of different, different things. This in my view is God's omniscience in action. In other words, though highly controversial, I've admitted that already. It's the idea that God knew in advance who would receive him. His foreknowledge... Of our lives. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. It's amazing. I'm going to read that again. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. It's, it's, it's His omniscience. He sees all. He knows all. He knew us before we were even created. He knew exactly what we would be like. Character, personality, etc., etc. Our choices, because I believe in free will. What our choices would be. And I know that's controversial. I'm going to move on. I do know, however, that many understand foreknowledge to mean that God has somehow, quote, saved us before He actually saved us. It's the notion... That we as believers experienced regeneration before we actually accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The idea that regeneration precedes salvation. That regeneration precedes salvation. I don't subscribe to that. I believe it's our responsibility to choose Jesus. As Lord and Savior. Again, I believe that it's our responsibility to choose Jesus as Lord and Savior. And not that he selects us apart from our will to choose him. I believe in free will. Think of this. That one day, according to the word of God, Jesus is calling you. He's telling you, listen, listen. He's telling you, listen. Uh, Excuse me, young lady, but where are you going? I'm joking. That's a joke. She already told me in advance that she was leaving. So, see? Nah. Uh, think of this. Think about, think about what the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation. What the Bible teaches in numerous other books, for, for, for that matter. And it's the idea that one day, one day, this is going to be a horrible sight, a, a horrible scene. The, the The worst scene imaginable. Imaginable. We know that as believers... When, 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 or rather, we know that according to the word of God, when unbelievers die, now this side of heaven is either heaven or hell, right? And if they are unsaved, then we know they're not going to go to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches, right? That's not me. But we also know that according to the word of God, there's going to come a, di- a time, a time, there's going to come a, a season or a day or however you want to look at that, that billions of people are going to be hurled into The lake of fire. Billions of people are going to be hurled into the lake of fire. Because I believe in free will, I do not accept the notion or the idea that God determined for people to go to hell. That He determined them. That with regard to the systematics that you may subscribe to, that somehow we are to believe that God determined some to be saved and others to be damned. I don't, I don't see that in scripture. I I I reject that. Um, I believe that we have choice, and I believe that one day billions of people are going to be hurled into the lake of fire because they chose to reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Somebody, that's that's just how I see it. That's just how I interpret it. Does this violate the sovereignty of God in some way? It's a legitimate question, because when we think in terms of the controversial debate, some people may say, "Well, well, Rick, your view." violates the sovereignty of God. And, and in my mind, in my view, it doesn't. Not even just a little bit. Do we perceive Him to be sovereign only when we... I'm going to start again. Do we perceive Him to be sovereign only when we regard ourselves as not having free will? Which is an argument that exists out there. I know all the arguments. I read them. I studied them. I studied the Armenian the perspective, the, the five-point Calvinist perspective, the tulip as well as the, which was a response to the Armenian five point, and on and on. And then you have the traditional view out there. So if you want to label me, if you want to box me in anywhere, it would be more, I'm leaning more to being a traditionalist. In no way, shape, or form do you refer to me as an Armenian. Please, don't do not do that. Don't do that. Because I'm not. It, it, it's the worst of all the views, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I have a problem with Calvinism. Because Calvinism teaches that there is no free will. You cannot subscribe to Calvinism believing in free will. You just can't. Because that's what Calvin taught. Never that I said I wasn't going to get into it. And I just I messed that all up. I messed that all up. So in my view, his sovereignty is perceived to be greater when we factor in free will. In my view... God's sovereignty is perceived to be greater, that He is greater in my mind, larger, bigger in my mind, when I, in my finite mind, when I factor in free will. With, without, If you remove free will from the equation, then God is manipulating us like robots. And that yes... We can perceive God to be really big in that context. But in my mind, when I factor in free will, that means that somehow God has to navigate my life, or rather, He's got to navigate His will and impart it unto me somehow without violating my will and without violating His own in the process. Can God do, can God do that? Isn't God big enough to do that? A- absolutely. Absolutely. He, he knows that I love Him. But he also knows that I have issues in my life. I I have a sinful nature. And so he presents an opportunity according to his will for my life. And because I love him, I choose to serve him. I make a choice to live for him on a daily basis and to affirm his promises in my life on a daily basis. As well as receive his instructions, receive his chastisement, receive his discipline. I receive it all. I want it all. I want it all. I'm not a bastard bastard child. I want it all. I receive everything that God has for me. And so I choose. And one day, according to the word of God, I'm going to be rewarded accordingly. I'm going to be rewarded. You and I. So I don't put God in a box. I don't put God in a systematic box. I know that he is able to orchestrate his will into our affairs the affairs of our lives, without violating our free will. He's big enough to do that. In my mind, that makes him huge. And I'm convinced that he is not bound to or bound by the limited reach of our philosophical perspectives. And I put that in there for a reason. Because our biblical systematics, the ones that I mentioned, they are speculative at best. And they are totally philosophical. Philosophical. We arrange salvation passages to suit our understanding. That's just how I see it. And I don't say that to be controversial. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. See that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above what you and I could ever ask, imagine or think because he's huge. He's large and we don't have the right to put him in a box. We don't have the right to say this is exactly how God is. Well, we don't know that to be true. We, somebody shared a verse with me long ago, long ago, Deuteronomy 29:29, And I live by that. I live by that. It, Deuteronomy 29.29 29 teaches that, that you and I as believers are to handle or navigate ourselves with the things, within the things that God reveals to us to be true, the things that He gives to us as an inheritance. We work with those things, and we don't reach for things that God has not revealed. We are not to reach for things that God has not given to us. But we do that. We, we do exactly the opposite. We reach for things that God has not given to us. We reach to know. We reach to understand. Like the Greeks. They apply themselves to know. Gnosis. They wanted to know. They wanted to, they wanted to quantify everything. All of life. Systematically. And we borrow from them. On so many different levels. To our detriment. As I see it. On so many levels to our detriment. Is the reason why. Every time somebody knew... Somebody different, some different church or organization comes up with a different interpretation for these verses, it splits the church one more time. Every time somebody espouses a different perspective on any verse of the Bible, it splits the church. Now there's division, and, we're, and it's just it's the reason why we're so messed up the way that we are today. I want to consider with the last few moments, uh, we can change that clock. I'm thinking, wow, I got an hour to go. I got an hour to go. No, wait, wait a minute. There's something wrong with that. It's 12 o'clock. I was going to thank you, Don. Thank you, Jesus. I got another hour to go. Ooh, some of you are saying, yeah, you could preach another hour if you want, but I'm leaving in five minutes, Jack. <laughs> I don't appreciate your tone if that's you. Miss <laughs> Caroline, I know that's you. I know that's what you're saying. You could preach all you want, Pastor, but I'm leaving very soon. I want us to consider a couple of verses. Um, again, I know I just covered a half of verse 29. Next week, we're going to pick up on it. I want to be, I want to be good. I don't want to keep you here longer than you want to be here. <laughs> I, want to, I want to pick up on that, that verse 29 next week, right? But I want us to look at at least six verses, five verses, one, two, three, four, five. And I want you to take a trip with me because I've been talking a lot about free will. Uh, and I want you to look at some verses regarding free will, right? So you don't leave here thinking, well, what, what was he talking about today? Why is he saying that? Nobody ever talked to me that, about that. I want you to go to John 3.16. I know you can quote it, but I want you to go there, please. John 3.16. You there? Say Amen. Amen. John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, underline that word, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When Jesus Christ stepped down from glory, he did so for all of mankind. It does not mean that all of mankind Will be saved. It just means that he provided an avenue for which mankind to be saved. Now go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And those people using tablets now, huh? You went clear across the New Testament, took you a little more time now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you were there already, huh? <laughs> verse 9. Verse 9. Amen. Got one amen on it. Janine over here. Yeah. Verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Not willing that any, that word, by the way, means everybody, right? It means everybody, it means any, it means all people, not just the the elect, not just some, but all people. But that all should reach repentance is the reason why, by the way, there's a delay Jesus, Jesus talked about that, he mentioned it in the Gospels, he mentioned it in the book of Revelation. There's a withholding, there's a, there's a pause in time, if you will, in eternity, if you will, because God loves everybody. He's not willing that anybody should perish. Doesn't mean that people are not going to perish, billions are going to perish. But God has indeed provided a way. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. And by the way, I am, I am familiar with the idea that these verses could also be interpreted uh, according to the other systematics as well. I am aware of that. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is about choosing. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What's he saying? He's saying you're believers, you're free, you're free indeed, but choose to follow Jesus now. Do not choose the flesh. Our free will is inferred from the text, I admit. John seven seventeen. John seven seventeen. Really, John seven seventeen. Amen. You have it. It says, "If anyone's will, uh oh, there it is. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching." is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If anyone, if anyone's will, it's to do God's will, God's will. Um, Sherry, do you have that? Do you have that? can I see it? in your version? I didn't take the time to do that. Seven seventeen. If any man will do his will, okay, he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. If any man will do his will. So it's, again, choice or the capacity to choose is inferred. Genesis, last verse, last verse. Go to to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. Everybody should find this in two seconds. There you go. (laughs) Amen. Genesis chapter 2. You there? Everybody there? Say amen. Look at verse verses... Um, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Look at verses um, 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Free will is inferred. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, eat of it, you shall surely die. He gave man the capacity to choose right from wrong. I've given you instructions. Follow my instructions. The day you violate them, you're going to experience a separation between you and I. Amen. I want you to stand with me. Can I get, um, I was going to say worship team, but I I should just say Dave. Can I get Dave to come up at this time? And bring (laughs) Because I'm done. I'm going to leave it right there. I've agonized my mind long enough. But think about, think about, if I can have your attention, just for a moment. Think about, think about the promise, or rather think about the principle that Paul the Apostle began this text with here, today. If you don't remember anything else... And I give you permission to discard all that other controversial stuff, right? But do not forget the principle presented in verse 28. Because that particular principle goes hand in hand with all of God's promises for you and I. The promises that He will never leave us nor forsake us. So, by the way, although I believe in free will, I did not make the statement that I believe in or do not believe in eternal security or vice versa. I didn't make those statements here today. If you want to get a better glimpse of what my view is, just look up traditionalism. That's more to the view that I lean towards. Traditionalist. I'm a traditionalist. Um, But again, promises. The principle regarding the idea that he is with you. That he is with us. That he will not forsake us. That he will not abandon us. And and I'm doing this. I know that I sound like a broken record. I know some of you. (laughs) And I joke when I say this. Okay, just just get on with it. You said that already. Listen, it's important because I know how my mind works. And I'm so grateful for all those sermons and all those studies um, by the people that I sat under for all those years who just reiterated the same thing so that they can get through my thick head. Why do I say that? Because our circumstances, the negative ones or the, the ones that we perceive to be negative ones or bad ones, perception is key, right? When I go through them, sometimes I just, it, it, even if it's just for a little bit, I lose sight of some important things. I lose sight of. And then ultimately, it impacts my decision making. And I make dumb decisions. And I start going off in the wrong direction. Even if it's just a little, don't, get, don't misunderstand me. I'm not a sinner in in that technical sense or in the general sense that I'm out there as, as your pastor doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing. That's not what I'm saying. It's a figure of speech. From time to time, when I'm not careful, I lose sight of important things. Because I'm not perfect. And I need God's assurance all the time. And that's why I repeat myself. This is major, major, major. One day day Tim is going to present a sermon series on
1: this.
0: (laughs) He said, what? And it's worth looking into because life is not easy. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the extent to which God's love reaches. God's love is beyond what you and I could ever imagine. Isn't it true? God's love is huge. Think if think about the grace of God. There's nothing you can compare it to. Absolutely. Not of this not on this earth. There's nothing that you can compare it to. And sometimes when we do things, we make bad decisions, we slip, we fall. We fall, we fall flat on our rear ends or flat on our faces. And we refuse to get up. We refuse to get up. We refuse to come back to church. We refuse to come to Bible study. Something happens, some difficulty. We refuse to come to prayer. Prayer sessions on Sundays or Sunday evenings or any other day for that matter. Or your personal, private, uh, your little cell groups where you gather for prayer. And sometimes we feel some type of way. You know what? That's, it's not even worth it. We may not, not overtly declare it like that. But on our nonverbal behavior or lack of attendance, that, that's the declaration that we're making. And meanwhile, God is looking down from heaven's balcony and He's saying, I love you. I'm still here. I'm still here. You are the one slipping away or rather taking steps away from me. I'm here. I'm still here. I love you. I haven't abandoned you and it's not going to happen. I'm never going to forsake you. That's the principle of Romans 8.28. And it's difficult to grasp, to understand And according to at least to some degree what I shared from verse 29, God can make it work in our lives, that principle, because he is sovereign. Because he's extraordinary. Because he's amazing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much, Father God, for this fellowship. For our fellowship. The fact that we have this building to come into and fellowship, to be with one another, to network, to plan, to embrace one another, to love on one another. I miss this group when I'm not here on Sundays or any other day for that matter. I pray that you knit our hearts closer together, Lord. Knit our hearts closer together. Bind us together together like the family that we are, like the family that You've called us to be or to become. Help us, Father God, to look past certain inconsistencies from one another and bind us in love and in grace and in mercy to one another, Lord God, so that we, Father God, according to Your Holy Spirit's directive, that we may rise up, Father God, in this community to be the body of Christ that we are supposed to be. First and foremost to one another, And then to the people outside of these walls, help us to rise up, Lord God. Revive us again, Lord. According to the psalmist in Psalms 85, verse 5, revive us again, O Lord. Strengthen us. Strengthen our weak knees. Remove the burden from our shoulders. And help us to be the children of God you've created us to be. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says...
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Bags. Let me see your bags. On a serious note. On a serious note. I uh, appreciate Tim, and his heart. Regarding the idea to highlight people that we love so much, people who are doing so much to advance the kingdom of God. As far as I'm concerned, it's nothing like a missionary. Absolutely nothing. Hands down, nothing like the role of a missionary. They are God's perfect people on so many different levels. I don't know about you, but I'm going to remember them this week. I'm going to be obedient. I'm just going to eat one of these. I'm going to remember them. No, this is not a wafer. This is not, we're not having communion right now. Please, Lord, Lord, have mercy. But at this time, in some weird way, I'm remembering our missionaries. Let's pray. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're thinking. That's weird. That's weird. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for our missionaries. Thank you so much for what they do. Thank you so much for the patents, for example. Right now, doing what they're doing. Lord, there's no way. There's no way that you can get me down in the Amazon. There's just no way. And yet... You found in those two a burden unlike any other burden. (laughs) I don't understand it. But you put something inside of them long ago. And they've been faithful for a very long time. And as a result of that faithfulness, you have reached countless souls in the jungles of Brazil. May you bless them. May you bless them. And may you anoint them. May you reach into France. May you reach into Africa. May you reach into the other places where we have missionaries. And not just our missionaries, but your missionaries. Missionaries from other denominations as well. May you reach into the Middle East, Father God, where so many missionaries are dying. Right now, right now, so many are bound hand and foot because of the Propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Indonesia, in Pakistan, in India, in China, in Japan. How many, Lord God, of your children are dying in China? Because of the preaching of the gospel. May you bless them. May you anoint them. May you deliver them in a powerful way. In the mighty and glorious name of Jesus
1: Christ. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.